Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome to the show, Ridiculous Historians. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, what better way to start off the show than to say sometimes critics with the best of intentions are just wrong. There's a there's a great quotation that'll come up later today with uh, one critic who famously said, Whoever would want to see a picture of a cat? You'll see why this is important later, but right now, uh, I, I'm willing to bet that uh, there are many people listening to the show while also checking out some sweet, sweet memes of cats. I'm I'm Ben. I'm, I also have a cat, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mr. Vankman and just the, the one that shall not be named, right? Uh, he has many names. Uh, uh-huh. The Colonel. Uh-huh. Mr. Jackpots, that's a Lynch reference. Uh, okay. And then, yeah, he's got he's got some names. Now, you cohabitate with a cat as well. I do. Uh, my name is Noel, and my cat only has two names. Uh, came by both of them relatively honestly. Got this cat through my uh, my dear buddy and friend of the show, Frank Mulherin's parents. And uh, we're not told that the cat already had a name. So we banded together and named him Fernando. And then some time went by, and Frank's parents were coming for a visit. And he sort of really quickly huddled with me and said, Hey man, in case they ask, the cat's name is Robert. And I'm like, wait, what? The cat had a name all this time and you didn't say anything? And the cat it has a little bobtail, hence the name Robert. So depending on his behavior, sometimes he's a Fernando and sometimes he's a Robert. 
Yep. And uh, Roberta Jamin, if he's really in trouble, right? And you got to use the whole name or Kathy. So uh, I I, got to say, man, one thing I like about our show is that we are all fans of multiple names and aliases. Uh, There is uh, another person we always love to introduce at the top of the show, uh, a man with a couple of extra names himself. That's our super producer, Casey Pegram. No, Casey, you're not going to go for the bait uh, as LaBouche. I don't know what you're talking about, Ben. He knows. Noel, he knows. He's always known. Omerta, Ben. Omerta. All right. (laughs) Well, today's episode is a doozy. This is one that came to us directly from a man with many titles. You're familiar with him uh, if you've listened to our show before. Our research associate, our research guru, our very own wizard behind the curtain, who we have finally, after weeks and months of teasing, uh, we finally got the chance to have him on air. Today, ridiculous historians, please welcome to the audio stage, Gabe Luzier. Hey, <laughs> thank <Okay>. you, <laughs> Gabe. Really quickly, we got to clear this up. We uh, some sometimes we do Gabe Luzier. We we tend to lean into the French and call you Miss Monsieur Luzier. Uh, give it to us straight. Tell us your name, Gabe. <laughs> um, it is L U Z I E R. Uh-huh. And that is generally how I pronounce it by spelling it out because uh, I have no idea really. I guess it's, you know, if you lean into the French, it's Lusier. Um, I do usually just spell it because I try not to say my own name as much as I can. Uh, my rule pretty much since grade school has been uh, anything but loser, and we're good. <laughs> All right. I love it. Now, Gabe, you uh, you have been a familiar presence to uh, many of our fellow listeners for a long time now, since since the show began. Uh, and uh, we're going to have to be completely transparent with you. Uh, time is weird for us pre-quarantine. We're not 100% sure how many episodes we've actually done. Uh, but fans of other podcasts, such as Part-Time Genius by our friends Will and Mango, uh, they may also also recognize you. you. You've worked with them in the past. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, that's right. I, I hooked up with them back in their mental floss days and uh, did some freelancing for that. And when they made the jump to podcasts, they brought me on board as their uh, research guy. And uh, yeah, been doing that ever since with them. And I uh, do a little work on Next Question with Katie Couric too. But uh, yeah, part-time genius and ridiculous history. Those are kind of my bread and butter at this point. And the rest is podcast history, my friend. Uh, uh, that's how we like to refer to, to what we do here at Ridiculous History. And we couldn't do it without you. And you had some big shoes to fill, too, with Christopher Hasiotis, who I always say is here in spirit, because he was kind of our first research associate slash guru. Uh, and his spirit lives on. And uh, you have truly picked up that mantle and carried it with aplomb, my friend. So we uh, we appreciate you so very much, as do uh, the, the Ridiculous Historians out there in podcast land. Well, thanks, guys. Yeah. I always ask myself, what would Chris do when I pick a topic? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and Christopher sends his uh, blessing as well. Um, we have done our best to uh, to make sure that our nemeses, we have a couple nemeses on the show, Gabe. Just want to be clear with you about that, to make sure that they don't make an appearance on today's episode. But honestly, we don't know how it goes uh, every time we're on on the mic. So so be warned, there may be a quizster, there may not. We don't know for sure. Uh, but we are uh, we, we were talking a little bit off air before we started rolling today. And you have some... 
uh, very close personal ties with today's topic, uh, which we're finally getting around to today's topic, uh, which is something that might surprise a lot of people uh, to learn. The artistic obsession with cats, or even, dare we say, the the mimetic obsession with cats, uh, predates the internet. And in the West, we can trace some of this to like one guy. Yeah, that's right. I mean, he's kind of the father of the cat meme uh, about 100 years before, you know, memes or the internet even existed. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm obviously a cat guy myself. I work in podcasting off mic primarily. So yeah, definitely a cat guy. This is the most prolific cat artist in history, I would say. Um, I feel pretty confident in that. And uh, of course, his name is Lewis Wayne, and he's a British 19th century uh, artist, cat artist specifically. Yeah. Now that sounds hyperbolic, but as we are soon to learn, that that superlative is earned. You'll recognize, even if you don't know the name, Lewis Wayne, you have, we guarantee you, seen some of his work. Maybe, maybe let's learn a little bit about his early life, how he became uh, the father of the cat meme. Uh, no, when when does his story really start? Would you say? Well, it starts on day one in 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 Clerkenwell, uh, London, on uh, the fifth of August of eighteen sixty. He was born to um, a, a textile entrepreneur who was his father, and his mother was French. And her name was Felicia, uh, which is a name that I love to say out loud because it rolls off the tongue in a very feline kind of way. Uh, and Lewis um, uh, was was not alone. He was one of six children and the only boy, which I, I can't personally relate to. But my father was the middle child among like five sisters. And it is a tough uh, road to hoe, my friend. Let me tell you, he definitely uh, did not come away from that situation, uh, let's say completely sane. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that that's kind of putting it mildly, I'd say. But uh, yeah, I mean, you mentioned that his father was in the textile business and it actually goes much further than that. Like uh, his father was a traveling textile salesman, but his uh, maternal grandfather, so his mom's dad, uh, was a tapestry designer himself. And actually his mother was a designer of like Turkish style carpet patterns so this guy grew up surrounded by uh, lots of color and patterns. It was just kind of ingrained in him from an early age, uh, not just carpet and textile, but also wallpaper patterns. Uh, it was everywhere, and it really shows up particularly in his later art, uh, which we'll get to later. But uh, yeah, this was a guy who uh, came from an artist's family. Yeah, and it's interesting because he was always sort of a sponge for the these varying visual aesthetics, and we know that he was um, not considered a prodigy in his early years of schooling, right? No one's like, whoa, look at all the math this guy is doing. He's like a math doctor or something, uh, but he was, he was already exhibiting at a young age talent in music and sports. And his aesthetic talents led him to a, a student career studying at the West London School of Art. Uh, there's a great there's there's a, a great article that you pulled, Gabe, from Artsy.net that talks a little bit about his career 
in context of great cultural shifts, right? So we see in his career, the, you know, uh, a microcosmic look at the shift from Victorian to Edwardian eras. And what I thought was interesting about this is it, it kind of provided the audience that he would later find as well. Uh, so his, so it's interesting that the audience for his art was being created almost at the same time that his artistic voice was coming into its own. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, that's that's totally true. I mean, he was coming up in, it was kind of post-industrial revolution, pre-World War One. So, you know, in England, the middle class and upper class, especially, it was becoming the leisure class. They had a lot more time on their hands. They had a lot more opportunities for diversion. And uh, yeah, he kind of leaned into that with his art, particularly in the early days. A lot of his cats would be drawn, sort of taking part in those activities, whether they're boating or having tea parties or, you know, playing cricket or croquet. All of this stuff was very much of the era. And it was interests that he had himself, too. I mean, despite being kind of a, an eccentric, shy person, he was also very athletic and outgoing in that regard. He was a sporty guy as well as an arty guy, which is not always the case. Yeah, and it's it's funny because it, it's all of these things, but just like, you know, with cats, like you might see one where a cat's playing a trombone or, or a cello or something like that uh, and just doing human stuff before this idea of anthropomorphized, uh, you know, animals with celebrity voices became a thing, you know, like he, he really was on the cutting edge as out there as this must have seemed at the time. And I'm sure uh, delightful to many. Um, it's now something that we just totally take for granted beyond cat meme, just in terms of like, you know, Disney movies, like early Disney movies and the idea of talking animals, doing human things and wearing human clothes. Right. Yeah, definitely. It, it was still novel at the time what he was doing. And that's why people kind of gravitated towards it. I don't think they really knew how strange the man behind the art was. Uh, but at the time, it didn't really matter. You know, he he found fame anyway, just kind of through capturing the spirit of the era and for whatever reason, channeling it into cats. Yeah. And we do have to say, um, you know, we should be grateful today in 2020, pandemic aside, to have his art because he was very close to just being a musician. I don't mean to say just being a musician. I'm sure he would have found his voice, but but he was very close to not pursuing a career in painting. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. 
Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. There's an interesting confluence of events here, one amazing and one quite tragic. They happen in his early 20s, in just the space of two years. So when he is 20 years old, his father passes away. His mother uh, will eventually go on to try to run the Wayne family textile business, but uh, she becomes financially insolvent. She goes bankrupt. And while this, you know, this tremendous, profound family tragedy is occurring, and while he's recovering or dealing with that grief, uh, just a year later, when he's 21 years old in 1881, and he's switched to art by now, he meets and secures an agreement with his first patron, the editor of the Illustrated London News, a guy named Sir William Ingram. Now, he's not... Uh, he's. He's not drawing those those wild, fascinating pictures of cats. He's he's drawing a much more, I would say, grounded uh, illustration of birds. I got to interject really quickly. I love the name of both the piece that he uh, had commissioned and the publication that it ran in. It was titled Bullfinches on the Laurels, which is just charming. And the name of the publication was just so exciting to me. It's the Illustrated Sporting and Dramatic News. <laughs> it's dramatic news. What does that mean, Gabe? Uh, yeah, I mean... Basically, when his father died, Lewis became the breadwinner for his family, uh, for himself, his mother and his five sisters. That's a lot of pressure. I think that's kind of what pushed him to finally make a decision, whether he was going to be a musician or uh, an artist, or he actually also kicked around the idea of being a chemist at one point, too. But uh, he was able to find work, as we mentioned, in illustration. And that was for the news, because this was at a time when photography wasn't really reliable enough to be used in newspapers. And so instead, you would send around illustrators to just jot down what they were seeing and sketch it out. And a lot of the time, the journalist doing that, the illustrator doing that would be the one writing these pieces too. And that was the case for uh, for Lewis Wayne. He was doing the right, the editorial and the illustration for for news. I don't know what the news entailed uh, bullfinches on the laurels, you know, like what exactly <laughs> the news was with these birds or if that was just for decoration. But that was yeah, that was kind of his big break. 
so re- really a functional job at this point. Like, you know, you're serving the purpose of like turning around assignments very quickly. You'd have to be a really efficient artist and, and work very quickly and be able to sketch what you see and turn it around quickly. And in addition, you said he was writing the copy too. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. It was a lot of stress and pressure to get this right, um, both in writing and, you know, in visuals. And yeah, you had a pretty quick turnaround with these deadlines, too. Uh, but yeah, it, w- it was a really realistic style that he was going with at the time, because, again, this was for, you know, news publication. So uh, nothing too creative or fanciful yet in that department. It was kind of, you know, a lot of still life and uh kind of what you would see like a, in a courtroom, courtroom renderings and stuff like that, just drawn on the spot. And uh, of course, I, I want to step back. I, I didn't want to uh, roll over. We are doing this on a Zoom call. So I, let me know if I actually interrupt anybody. But I, I wanted to point out, of course, that uh, this little known fact, uh, the Illustrated Sporting and Dramatic News was Sir William Ingram's uh, response to the uh, much more uh, popular at the time, non-illustrated, sedate, and dry reports, uh, which was, you know, they sold millions of copies. It was just a list of various bushels of like grain and uh, some, you know, uh, some descriptions, but not illustrations of various styles of shoe. Uh, it, w- it was just a different time, you know, yeah. it was a different time. Thrilling stuff. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, it was in this in this uh, milieu, in this cultural stew, uh, being a commercial artist doesn't give one a lot of time to explore one's uh, aesthetic voice, right? This is really keeping the lights on, keeping the food on the table. And he is forced to grow up more quickly than others uh, his same age at the time. And he meets uh, and falls in love with uh, the governess of his sister's. Emily Richardson. Uh, she's she's a little bit uh, older than he is. See, he's like he's in his early twenties. She's probably in her early thirties. But they're head over heels, and it's beautiful. They move in together, and they get married in 1984. And she is always his greatest champion for these cat pictures. Quick point of order, gentlemen. Governess is that like a chaperone? Is that sort of a, a handmaiden? Like, what are we talking here? An au pair? Yeah, it's like Mary Poppins, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. I think that's just right. You're you're a, you're both a tutor and a babysitter, and uh, at times uh, a cook. Yeah, so he hit it off with this new governess. Uh, they quickly fell in love, got married, moved in together, and uh, early on in their relationship, one thing that kind of drew them close was they rescued this stray cat uh, from the rain. They named him Peter or Peter the Great. And uh, for a time, you know, they were really just happy and young in love together. He was working for the news and, uh, you know, making money for the family and all was well. But unfortunately, um, pretty soon after they got together, Emily was diagnosed with breast cancer and it turned out to be inoperable. And kind of during this time, her biggest comfort and consolation was uh, Peter the cat and Lewis Wayne's drawings of him. He would just uh, sketch their cat and do funny things like put spectacles on the cat and then draw it and make it look like he was reading the newspaper. And she apparently got a huge kick out of this. And I think they both did. And that was kind of, you know, the thing that sparked his career in cats. I want to point out really quickly uh Wayne and our, our, our own Ben Bolin do kind of have something in common because technically, Ben, your cat's name is Peter, Dr. Vankman. That is correct. Yeah. And, uh, you know, longtime listeners, 
especially people who have been listening since we've been recording remotely, uh, you probably recognize all of our cats uh, from their, their uh, how should I say this, uh, their non-completely consensual appearances on the show. But we definitely, I think it's safe to say, we definitely owe a lot to our pets. And one thing here that's so, so amazing about this story is that later, Unfortunately, when Emily is passed away, he's, uh, he still has these cat pictures and he does eventually sell them. Uh, I think the first one he sells is 1886. But when he's looking back on his career, he has a very interesting quote where he says, to him properly belongs the foundation of my career, the developments of my initial efforts and the establishing of my work. So credit where it's due. You got to respect the guy. And, you know, to be fair and not to take anything away from Peter's contribution, but the guy we mentioned earlier, the editor or the publisher, I'm sorry, Sir uh, Ingram, he's kind of a lifelong benefactor for Wayne. He really gave him that uh, big break, you know, in the newspaper. And he's also the guy that that first publishes his cat pictures. Um, And he, you know, he he helps uh, he helps the Wayne family find a house in the countryside and really just kind of looks after this guy and, and kind of sets him up. Uh, in the early days of his career. So, you know, Peter did a lot, but also Sir Ingram gets a little credit, I guess. Well, and, and not to get too dour too quickly, but it is also a career that was kind of founded in grief because uh, he really did get this push to start sketching cats from his ailing wife uh, and then continued that after she passed, which while certainly an, uh, you know, a way of honoring her memory had to have been somewhat painful. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I would think so. She she was. She was a big proponent of it. She wanted him to go, you know, full tilt into this cat art and kept encouraging him to do it and take these sketches to your editors, you know, and, and let's see what they what they think. Maybe maybe this is, you know, a more fun avenue for you to kind of explore your artistic side. And uh, yeah, you kind of alluded to it earlier, Ben, but um, it wasn't the warmest reception at first. No, no, Gabe, no. Casey as well, tell me, tell me that people appreciated the the painful place from which this uh, talent emerged. Tell me that the critics were over the moon about this, please, someone. Yeah, not so much. Uh, one one critic, uh, um, an editor actually of the paper that he was submitting this uh, this this picture to, and of course it was a picture of Peter the Great. Uh, reportedly asked Wayne, "Whoever would want to see a picture of a cat?" And it's funny when Ben quoted that at the top of the show, my immediate response was, what an absurd question in this, our internet times, you know, where like cat pictures are king. It's basically internet currency, you know? Um, And he really, you know, sometimes you're just uh, too ahead of your time and people just don't see the genius uh, that is cat pics. Um, And he really took it further. He started to really develop from just doing portraits of cats, which is what this one would have been. Uh, He doubled down. He was not deterred. He really created the uh, blueprint for those anthropomorphic, you know, Disney and Pixar animals that we all know and love today and that are like big, big business, right? Yeah, it's true. He he was not deterred in the slightest. I I actually read that at the peak of his career, he was he was churning out like six hundred to a thousand unique cat pictures every year, um, and he kept this up for for a, quite a long time. the The peak of his career is considered to be uh, nineteen hundred to nineteen fifteen. So I mean, 
500 to a thousand unique cat pictures every year for you know a decade and a half two decades that's uh that's commitment yeah (laughs) tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yes You heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Like you said, no, he's developing this style. And when he gets his big break in the illustrated London news with a with an actual cat photo, he is lauded for a piece called A Kitten's Christmas Party. And boom, overnight success, overnight fame. Uh, you can find a, a photo or you can find an image of this online. I want to just describe it really quickly. Uh, It's a lot to unpack. Um, The top of it almost looks like a Last Supper-esque kind of like situation. A tableau, really, with these kittens like sitting at a dinner table with plates and and cups and saucers in front of them. It's just ridiculous. Who would have thought to do that? One of them looks to be consulting some sort of document. I don't know what that might have been, a menu perhaps. But they're, they're not anthropomorphic quite yet. They are sitting at a table, uh, but they are still in kitten, you know, poses. And there's one kind of playing with a, a toy or something on the table. And it almost is laid out like a comic where there's panels and stuff. Gabe, do you want to talk a little bit more about this particular piece that really pushed him into the stratosphere? Uh, yeah. So this was for, um, like you said, this was a kitten's Christmas party. So this was for the Christmas edition of uh, the Illustrated London News. And I believe it accompanied a short story a Christmas story about some cats, you know, celebrating Christmas. So it was kind of meant to go along with the story and, um, you know, just showed cats kind of taking part in human activities. But again, like you mentioned, they weren't anthropomorphized yet. 
Uh, that would come a little bit later. But still, people loved uh, just kind of the energy of it, the ridiculousness, the the humor that was you know on display in this illustration. And uh, yeah, they wanted more. And Wayne was uh, more than happy to oblige. Yeah, he was not the do. He was not one of those people uh, who says like, "No, I'm not going to be boxed in." I do a lot of other different stuff. You know, you hear about actors who say like, I've been cast in this role, I can no longer escape or musicians who hate having to play the same song over and over in some sort of weird limbo. Wayne was down. He was super down. Cats defined his career and he was roughly 1 million cat percent on board. He had, you know, there's great PR about it where he's, uh, there, there's a photograph of him that w- was kind of making the rounds when people did uh, think pieces or get to know your author kind of things about him. Uh, and it shows him, you know, he's, he's getting ready to draw what is surely a cat. And he's also, you know, hesitating before he draws the cat because he needs to pet the real cat that's sitting next to him, his desk mate. And uh, this is where we start to see his kind of, um, his evolution really kick into gear. Uh, So I would say that A Kitten's Christmas Party is whimsical, right? And a lot of his cats were kind of realistic, more realistic affairs. Think more like W.H. Auden, the way he drew birds, you know, like he wanted them. These look like real cats, but sure enough, he he heard the public or he heard an inner voice of his own and his cats started walking on their hind legs. They started grinning. Uh, You know, they were doing uh, more and more of the things that you described, Noel, in, in that picture. And This is where we get to a little bit of um, audience interpretation, like who owns the meaning of a work of art? Does it, is it the artist, the creator, or is it the audience, the observer? Uh, Because some people will tell you, uh, especially the author of an Atlas Obscura article in particular, uh, will tell you that these cats seem really cute, almost saccharine at times, but they could also be interpreted as sinister. Where do you guys think that comes from? I think the Christmas painting is actually quite sinister, honestly. Uh, there's a certain cultishness to it. They're like circling around and there's like ones holding flags kind of in the background. And there's one scenario where they're like playing with these mice that are lined up. I, I find the whole thing to be a little sinister. I, I, that one in particular. I know he moves more toward the saccharine, you know, let's put them in pants, you know, all that. But this particular one, I found a little bit on the creepy side. What do you think, Gabe? Yeah, I think... Uh you know, that kind of is a thread through all of his work, I think. I mean, even once he's he's drawing these uh, cutesy anthropomorphized cats, there is still an element of danger or kind of mischievousness to them. Um, a lot of the times he's drawing cats kind of in distress, like uh, there's a bunch of cats piled into a car and it's sinking in a lake or something like that. <laughs> or uh, there's cats out ice skating and they're, you know, there's a sign that says dangerous and the ice is is thin and they're falling through the ice and kind of, you know, shrieking. And usually there's a couple cats off to the side kind of slyly grinning as if they're enjoying this. So there was an edgy side to this, uh, you know, what we might be tempted to call cutesy art. And that came out more and more uh, as his career went along, a big break for him was actually the development of postcards, 
Um, this was something strange I found out, but the golden age of postcards, there is such a thing, was uh, not considered 1900 to 1915. And that is like his peak period. Um, and basically, people fell in love with these designs. I, I think he sold over uh, 1,100 unique postcard designs over the years. So, you know, each postcard would have, you know, feature one cat or multiple cats in these kind of scenarios. And yeah, they were pretty adorable, but there was always kind of a, a hint of menace to them. Well, as we all know and can attest to, cats are assholes. I mean, every every incredibly intelligent creature can be an asshole. My, mine are hopefully more eccentric. I'm saying that because they can hear me help. Uh, but but here, you know, here we are. We've painted the origin story, right? And we've painted the rise to uh, the rise to fame, or at least to public prominence. Uh, but you can already hear astute, ridiculous historians that there are some, you know, there's some minor keys sinking in to our uh, our composition. So what we'd like to do today is call this part one. We are going to explore the rest of the story of Lewis Wayne in part two of our episode. And just to let you know, things are going to get weird. So uh, please tune in immediately. Uh, Gabe, you got to come with us on this journey, right? You're coming with us in, down this rabbit hole, or should I say this kitten hole? Oh, 100%. Yeah. You can't keep me away. No, this is, oh man, like uh, like Gene Wilder playing Willy Wonka said, uh, no wait, that's Rocky Horror Picture Show. You know, the person who said anticipation. Uh, I am looking forward to this. Thanks as always to our super producer, Casey Pegram. Oh my gosh, and for the first time ever in real life, thanks to Gabe Luzier, Luzier, anything but loser, uh, for being the best research associate and uh, guest that, that uh, a, a group of podcast nerds could ask for. Thanks for being here, man. Aw, thanks for having me, guys. This was really fun. Thanks to super producer Casey Pegram, as always, Alex Williams, who composed our theme, Christopher Hasiotis here in spirit. Thanks, of course, to Eve's Jeff Coat, our peer podcaster. Thanks, as always, to Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. The Quister. Uh, thanks to Lewis Wayne and Noel, thanks to you. Thanks to you too, Ben. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon Waterways can go where the big ships can only dream, through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. 